Good morning, everyone. You're seated comfortably. That's important. Don't go to sleep yet. We haven't read the scriptures together. Um, as most of you will realize, we're right in the middle of our series looking into Ephesians and trying to hear what God says to us from this rather amazing book. It's uh, a, a wonderful piece of scripture. Paul wrote to all the believers in Ephesus who were a mixed bag of people, nationalities and backgrounds. And when he got to the portion that we're going to study this morning, he turned away from talking to the whole group to addressing a specific section of, of the group of people in Ephesus, and that was the Gentiles. And so he began to talk to the Gentiles about what the issues were with them. And so this particular section is, is a result of the missionary activity of the church. There would not have been a church in Ephesus had not a whole swamp of people obeyed the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, just a couple of things to say. I know that sometimes when people are asked to take up their Bible and open to a certain chapter or book, it sometimes for some people is a bit of an embarrassing time. I used to have this, especially if someone said uh, Obadiah or somewhere. I had a rough idea about where Obadiah was. Ah, it happens to just open to it right now as I flicked. <laughs> but I've got a little picture in there of my son when he was about two. Um, you know, sometimes it's like that. And it, it's, the Bible's got 66 books in it, and lots of us have never ever learnt that list off by heart, and if we have, we've forgotten. And the one thing is not to be embarrassed if you can't find the place. There are two things to do. One is there's a big index in the front, and you shouldn't be ashamed of going to hunt in the index to find out where you got to go to. And the other thing is, sometimes there are just little things, if you know more or less where it is, there are things that you pick up that help you find it. <clears throat> and the way to find Ephesians is, get every pub closed. <laughs> now, I don't hear any cheers at all <laughs> for that one. And it shows you that I learnt it quite a long time ago. <laughs> when when it was not thought appropriate to mention pubs and Christianity in the same, same sentence. But uh, get every pub closed. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay. Oh, someone said, oh, you got it. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know where it is. But we've invited a special guest this morning to read the scripture to us. And I'm going to ask David Suchet now to read our passage for this morning. He's going to read the whole chapter. Galatians, uh, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. I think sometimes it's a good thing just to listen to scripture being read without paying too much attention to chapter numbers and verse numbers. Chapter numbers, you know, only came into the written scripture in the 13th century when some gentlemen thought it was a good idea to break it up into sections like that. And amazingly, the thing that one person did in the 13th century has hung on and basically every Bible used anywhere in the world now has those same chapter numbers that a comparatively insignificant person put in in the 13th century. Even more interesting was that the verse numbers only came in in the 16th century. I don't know who did it, but these things have actually become very useful for us because we're used to sort of quoting a little bit of scripture and being able to dive straight to it. But of course, originally when the scripture was written, it wasn't like that at all. It, it was a letter. Um, it, you know, didn't have any numbers. It didn't have any quick access uh, ways of, of getting at the information. But uh, we've always found, Jackie, um, Mary and I, my late wife, Jackie, I don't usually say that. Mary and I, <laughs> Mary and I, uh, most days we listen to a Bible in a year from, from HTB and David Suchet reads the scripture and it is the richest part of the whole day experience, really. 
having this lovely voice reading scripture. Now, I don't know if you know much about David Suchet, but he's an actor, amazing voice, very well known. Most people think he's Poirot or something like that. But he was a man who spent a lot of time in hotels. And some of you know where this is going. And he spent a lot of lonely time in hotels. And eventually, he picked up a Gideon Bible. And as a result of reading the Gideon Bible, he became a Christian as a grown man. And he's given a lot of his spare time, as I understand it is, to recording the scripture and the whole Bible there is, is recorded by David Suchet. So if you would ever like to just sit and listen to scripture read by somebody who has an amazing voice and when he's reading sections where God speaks and somebody else speaks and somebody else speaks, you can tell, you know, it's just, it brings it to life. So I would recommend that to you. But right now we're going to dig into the passage for today. And the subject that we have is brought near with access. And this is the overall theme for this second half of the book of uh, two Ephesians, starting at verse 10. It kind of overlaps with where we finished last week about God's workmanship. So that's the theme. Brought near with access. So these ideas are going to come up as we talk this morning. Ah, right, okay, good. Just to keep this in mind, that this little passage breaks down um, a flow of time. Paul is addressing the Gentile people in the congregation and he reminds them by saying, using the word formerly. This is right there in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles were. And he goes on to talk about that. We'll look at it in a minute. Then he comes halfway through the section where he changes the pace and he says, but now, at this time, such and such a thing has happened. It's changed. And then he goes on to talk about the outcomes of those two facts. So that's what we're going to look at as we go through the scripture here. Okay, so let's look at this issue of formally, first of all. Now, basically, for the Gentile group, this means the people who were not Jews, and he goes on to explain about how this was, in case it wasn't clear to anybody. But he refers to the term un circumcised. Now, we use the term uncircumcised freely in church, but we need to remember that in these times that we're reading about and thinking about this morning, when the term uncircumcised was used, it was used by Jews of all of the rest of the world. So, there were Jews and were the, there were the uncircumcised and it was a very rude term I mean if we get back to what it actually means the removal of the foreskin of the male circumcision this was something that was used as a a term of abuse by the Jews who by the way thought in abusive terms of everybody else except Jews 
they had spent so long realising that they were special to God that they built for themselves all kinds of ways of making sure that other people weren't able to cross in into that area of blessing. They effectively disliked people of other nations. Okay, yeah. So, formally, then there's a little list of what Paul gives. And, uh, you know, the Jews were forbidden to help a Gentile woman in childbirth. If they saw her beside the road giving birth, they would just walk by. They, if, a, if a Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, there was a funeral service. You might think this is a bit extreme, but I actually know a guy who had a funeral service said to him, a friend of mine, Rashad Babu Khan, was sent from Aden in Yemen, present-day Yemen, by his father, who was a leading architect in the country, to come to Britain as a young man to train as a Navy officer in the Merchant Marine. While he was at the Merchant Navy Training College in Portsmouth, Rashad met a number of Christians and became a Christian himself. He wrote home to his father. He was immediately excommunicated from the family and they had in Aden a funeral service for Rashad with a coffin which was then buried. And as far as the family was concerned, Rashad was cut off. He's now made some um, rapprochement, I suppose you would call it, with the family and his, his sisters, I think, but not his dad. And th- this is an up-to-date example of what the Jews used to do on a regular basis, if necessary. So, this is the whole issue about being excluded. Formally, you were excluded. You were excluded from citizenship. Now, of course, we think about citizenship a little bit today. I don't know if there's anybody in the congregation who uh, is not British and is looking for citizenship from somewhere else because there are lots of people in our country today who are not British but are wanting UK citizenship. And um, one of my friends, George Verwer, his wife, they're Americans, lived in Britain for 45 years, his wife walked through the citizenship exam and got her citizenship. George, he failed the exam. He didn't know the answer to half the questions. Doesn't bother him a great deal. But some people who fail that exam and do not acquire the citizenship that they would love to have, it's devastating for them. And the the Jews excluded, and the the scripture excluded Gentiles from citizenship in, in, uh, in Judaism. They were not only excluded from citizenship, but they were foreigners to the promise. Now the promise comes up in Exodus 6 uh, verse 7, where God said, I will take take you for my people, I will be your God. I will take you for my people and I will be your God. He was talking to the Jewish people and they understood what that meant, that they were special but that that, for them, brought both privilege and obligation. They were uniquely the people of God. But all the others were outside. We were without hope, because this is what 
we were Gentiles, most of us. Any, any non-Gentile here? No one. Oh, that's interesting. I thought there might be at least one or two. So, we were without hope and, of course, this came about because we were without God in the world. And this was before Christ came. Not only that, but we were far away. The whole thing that the Jews talked about, these are just the words picked out of the passage here. The Jews uh, were concerned about the whole nation of Israel, where they lived and how it all centred on Jerusalem. And Jewish people who didn't have access to Jerusalem always felt isolated. They felt a long way away. And we remember this in one of the Psalms after the Babylonian exile, how they, they said we, we hung up our harps on the willow tree and we thought about how, how, how far away we are from Jerusalem. We can't sing our songs because we're not in Jerusalem. And for the Jews, they were always focused on the holy city as it's come to be known. So Gentile lands and Gentile regions were regarded by this term far away. And this is why Paul uses the term here. And this not only resulted in people feeling far away, but also in people feeling um, separated by the temple and from the temple. And I've been trying to understand a little bit about the temple. Um, I've seen what's left of the temple in Jerusalem. That didn't help me very much to understand what the original one must have been like. And so, I'm just going to wander about a little bit to help you understand this now. But, the, the issue with the temple is where people went to get access to God. Especially where once a year, a high priest went into the very top place in the temple represented by the drum kit, right? That was the Holy of Holies, a curtain. You wouldn't be able to see it. There was a curtain across there. And once a year, one man, the high priest, went in in fear and trepidation. He had a rope tied round his leg so that in case God eliminated him in there or euthanized him, as the veterinary nurses use, <laughs> in case he died in there, he could be pulled out without other people going in the curtain. And around the bottom of his robe, he had little bells. So while he kept moving about, it was tinkle, 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 and people knew everything was all right, that God hadn't smitten him while he was making sacrifice for them. But that was up there. That was something that people never saw. But out here, out on the road, this was Jerusalem, out there on the road, beyond the red wall, where the little verges and the road, and all out there in Hazelmere, that, that was Jerusalem, the rest of the world. Now, anybody could walk around there. Gentiles, Jews, people from anywhere could mill about. But then we've got our little gate, haven't we? There's no gate there, but we've got a little red wall where we all walk in in the morning and cross there into an area of grass around this building, outside the building. Crossing that little grass there is the equivalent of a big wall that was round the temple building. On one side alone, it was 500 metres long. So this takes you a long way up the road past Dave's house. Right? 500 metres. This was the size of the temple court. And it was all very beautiful and it was all archways, porticos, 
Solomon's porch was one of those. And anybody could go into, through that porch and through that colonnade and into that big area, which was like the grass round the outside of our building here. So the Gentiles could come in there. But if the Gentiles came as near as the front door, there was a wall. And ladies could go in past the wall, Jewish women could go in past the wall, but only into a little area, well it's quite big, but represented by our porch and the loos here. That's where the ladies could go, the court of the women. But Gentiles, men or women, weren't allowed in there. And on the wall that shut them out, it was a beautiful marble wall, a bit carved, it had um, an elaborate sign on it that said, being translated, we bear no responsibility for any Gentile passing this point who will probably die. And it sounds a bit rich, doesn't it? But this plaque has actually been discovered. They dug it up in the 1600s and they found one of these things. So this is one of the, you know, Gentiles were prohibited from coming in. So Jewish men could come in the door, Jewish ladies couldn't come through here, but Jewish men could come in, all right, court of the men. And then, so once they got up to here, it began to get a bit special, as it does in our church, where the, <laughs> the band. Now, the other, thing about, the other thing about the temple courts was that as here, you know, this is a bit elevated here, and Geoffrey, he sits up on an even higher seat there, as you went into these courts in this enormous building, it was really big, um, from each room and each place to the next, it went up quite a way. I don't know the exact height. So you were climbing up as you went in, as the men went in. They, it was getting higher all the time. So as, as you approached this place where the priests only could go, this is where they did their work and did the sacrifices, and Jewish men were allowed in there on one day a year. I forget what the feast was now. But they were allowed in there as well on one day of the year. But then when you got here, where Jeff was sitting, <laughs> the Holy of Holies and the curtain. Okay? So you've got two barriers here. One is you've got the principle of the whole way the whole thing was built. It was built to let certain people in and to exclude others. So the temple was an interesting building because it was about access, which is the first point that we're talking about this morning. It was about access, but it was also about prohibition on point of death for Gentiles. So it was a serious matter, you know. That we would definitely have been excluded from getting into that building. So... Let's see. Oh, but now. Good, we've got there. But now. But now represents the moment that Jesus came into the world and changed everything. So this is in verse 13. Where it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, Gentiles, Gentile lands, Gentile concept, have been brought near the second part of what we're talking about this morning. Access being brought near through the blood of Christ. Not just 
the fact that Jesus came into the world, which was amazing in itself, but it was what Jesus came for. It's interesting, isn't it, that passage that reminds us that Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge the world. He came into the world to save the world. And so we are confronted at this point by the cross and Jesus on the cross. Had Jesus only come into the world and then ascended, as he did, if he'd only done that, it it wouldn't have helped a great deal. We'd have just been left with a fine example, some wonderful teachings and that kind of thing. But the fact that Jesus came in and actually went all the way in terms of the sacrifice and hung on the cross and died and rose from the dead on the third day, this is what made the difference for the Gentiles and the Jews. But when Paul was addressing the Jews, as he did here this morning, formerly, but now, brought near by the cross of Christ. So it's very important, isn't it, that we that we remember that. Then, of course, there are, there are some consequences. <laughs> the, the first thing is that we have peace with God. Now, I think it's very difficult for us in our culture, sometimes, for a lot of us anyway, to... Is it me? Okay, sure. Not, it's not a problem. Not a problem. Um, it's a problem for us sometimes. For me, it is this issue of peace. I've been a Christian virtually all my life. That didn't make everything for me peaceful. I was <laughs> really complicated experience for quite a few years. You know, I, could, I got saved when I was nine, and I could never understand how Jesus came into my heart. If only they'd used a different terminology. Is it me? On off button. <laughs> Well, thank you. If, if ever there was a good example of formally, but now. Button now. Formally, but now. Thanks so much, men. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, where are we? Peace. We have peace with God. I don't know how many of you remember the book Peace Child. Have you ever any of you read this book? In, in the 1960s, um, an American missionary and his wife worked in, I think then it was called Dutch New Guinea. Uh, after that it got called Irianjaya, and I think it may have changed its name again since then. And they were working with people called the Sawi people, who were a ferocious tribe. And um, Don worked hard to translate portions of the scripture and to understand the language that these people were speaking. And these were cannibal people and, you know, they believed in killing off other people. It was quite a thing. And um, when it came to Easter, Don decided that he would brave it and he would go and sit in the long hut up on stilts where the men were. Very dark up there. He hadn't been there before. When he got up there, he realised that all the men were sitting on skulls. Real skulls, not just model things. They used those for seats. 
and he started telling the Easter story. And he was a bit faltering because his language wasn't good and some of these were concepts that he was trying to explain in the Sabi language. And he got as far as the point where Jesus was in the garden and the soldiers came towards Jesus and Judas stepped up and I'm not going to, Dave, it's all right, kissed Jesus on the cheek. And suddenly, there was an enormous cheer went up from all the guys sat on their skulls in this dark place. And Don thought, what's going on here? I must have said something wrong. So he tried it again. He, 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 you know, he thought through carefully what he was saying and he said it again. And same response. As soon as he got to the point where, Je- where Jesus was betrayed, big cheer went up. It took him quite a while to discover that treachery and betrayal was what their culture was about. And they had a phrase that was called fattening for friendship. And the object of this was to make friends with somebody. Like, let's say I make friends with Ian. I made sort of slight friends with Ian over the last 18 months or so. But I would work hard to make friends with Ian. I would give him gifts, we'd go out together, we'd spend a lot of time talking and, you know, I would do things to show him that he was really, really my special friend. And I would take this to extreme limits. I would allow a lot of time to pass. Maybe we would grow up together and come back from university and be together again and, you know, years would pass and I would be doing things to show Ian, what a close friend he was of mine. Then, I'd kill him. And the longer you could fatten for friendship and then kill somebody, that was the peak of high culture (laughs) for the Sawi people. And so when they heard about Judas betraying Jesus, they just thought, this is amazing. We've never heard anything like this. So, obviously, Don was stumped at this point and and he couldn't work out how to solve the problem. What happened one day, where he lived, I mean, it was remote and they lived in a little hut in front of a big flat area where sometimes the, the groups used to meet. There was a tribal war going on out there on the big plain in front of where they lived and they could see these guys fighting each other and uh, suddenly... Uh, a dramatic event took place. A man from one tribe came out holding a baby like this and he gave it to the top man from the other tribe. And this baby was called the peace child because in their culture, while that happened, while the chief from one side gave his baby to the chief from the other side, while that baby lived, there would be peace between these two warring factions. And so, when that happened, Don saw the key to the gospel right in front of his eyes. And I recommend, it's a bit old now, 1960-something this was written, but this was a Reader's Digest choice book and was a big seller and there was a film for it and all kinds of stuff. It was great because it was made in America and to, <laughs> to save the sensibilities of some of the Americans, the ladies had to wear grass skirts on the film. <laughs> but in real life, no one wore grass skirts at all there. 
But this is a dramatic thing. You know, this is an amazing example of what Paul talks about. Christ came and we have peace with God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't really grasp that, can we? Maybe some of you can. You know, have had dire, dire experiences and you become Christians and you really understand what peace with God is. But this is, this is far, far more than most of us can understand. So this is what happens when Jesus came. The answer really is Jesus. And it does seem to me, the older I get, that although people are glib about this and make all kinds of jokes, I, I have come to the conclusion that for almost everything that comes up, the answer is Jesus. Now, it could be as simple as, you know, a minor temptation, or it could be something like an exam. You're looking at a paper, and I've had this experience. <laughs> I was trying to get into Spurgeon's College, and I was doing a Greek exam, and when I looked at the question paper, I didn't recognise half of it. Now, actually, on that occasion, saying, help me, Jesus, didn't help. <laughs> but it was an appropriate response, Right? And the answer is Jesus. You know, we, we grin at the joke. But it is true. The answer is Jesus. Because, he goes on to say, that we have been brought near. The answer is Jesus. And, that is worked. This is great. Switched on. <laughs> we have been brought near. Now this term that Paul uses here, brought near, this is a bit of a technical term. Because apparently, uh, in those days, if a Gentile wanted to be become a Jewish proselyte, they would go to a rabbi and they would say, Rabbi, they would confess their sins and they would say, Rabbi, please bring me near. And so the process that the rabbi then went through was bringing that person near. So this was real for the Jewish people who were reading this. They understood what that meant about being brought near. Interestingly, this is something that we can't do ourselves. This is a passive term. We have been brought near. It's like someone picks me up and carries me and brings me in. I don't do it myself. We have been brought near by God himself. So this is a very wonderful thing. Lots of things happen when we become Christians, when we become saved. And then he talks about being made into one. This is a bit of a complex thing here because it depends on what translation you use. Some are more complex than others and some actually oversimplify it a bit. But he talks about, in uh, verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And the best explanation I've been able to find for this comes from the 4th century, from a church father called uh, John Chrysostom. Um, he was also known as Golden Mouth because he was such an eloquent and powerful speaker for the church. And he became forced to become the, uh, the bishop or the archbishop or something of Constantinople at one time. But he gave an illustration of what this two becoming one really is. And he said it's like this. He said, you take two statues, one made of silver, the other one made of gold. You melt them down and we get one new statue. 
So this is like a Jew and a Gentile, in this case, coming together and being made into one, a Christian. And when you examine the statue, it's not an amalgam of lead and gold, lead and silver, but it's pure gold, the statue. So the two becoming one. So the product of us coming together, Jews and Gentiles together, we don't lose our identity, we're still British or Finnish or whatever we might be, or Gentiles or Jews, but when we meet each other, and you've all experienced this kind of thing, when you meet another Christian, we have an immediate bond. Because the differences that we might still have of ethnicity, nationality, politics or whatever it might be, they disappear. Because actually, as John Chrysostom said, the two have been made one. So, there is a new person, a Christian, made of gold. So, we have a joint identity in that respect. So, then he takes us back to the temple. He talks about the wall being broken down. And that was the wall that I talked about by the door there that prevented the Gentiles getting in. That wall was removed. So, the Gentiles have access into that building. This was... This was a metaphor that Paul was using of the temple. And uh, this is what happened. So this was an amazing thing too. So this means that us Gentiles, who were previously kept out on the grass, we could come in to this area here, which we might think was pretty amazing. And also the ladies were allowed into this area here. But not only that, we also know that what happened was that this barrier was broken down. And this was what the access was really about. Not just getting into the building, because the purpose of the building was this bit here. The Holy of Holies, where God lived. And which was such a scary place (laughs) that, you know, only one person could get in and get out there. But now... The curtain was torn down. It was a big thick curtain. It was about a foot thick. I can't imagine how they managed to weave it like that. And it was enormously high. It must have weighed a ton or something. It would have been impossible to tear it even from the bottom. But it was torn down from the top, wasn't it? And so suddenly there was access for everybody. And this is what we're talking about this morning when we're talking about access. Not only the broken thing, but we've got the abolished Oh, sorry about that. Uh, The abolished law. Jesus did away with the law. Sometimes this is a bit of a problem for people um, because we love the Ten Commandments, which still stand, by the way. But Jesus actually abolished the law. And uh, if you want a verse about this, Romans 10.4 is a good place to go because it specifically says, Christ is the end of the law. That's brief and categoric. So, that's that. And then, we're getting near the end now. Reconciliation. Special word used here that means the bringing together of estranged friends. And I learned that in the Persian court, in long way back, there was actually a man who had this term of a, a kind of a reconciler. It was his job. And his job was to introduce people into the king's presence and this is what happened to us 
You know, we have been reconciled and we have access. Then we move on to the last point, and this is quick, because this is about the good news. There is always a consequence with what God does. So we are no longer foreigners and aliens. Imagine the relief of the person who tries to get citizenship and fails or is constantly rebuffed and then suddenly they're given citizenship and they're no longer a refugee or an asylum seeker but they have a home, they have a belonging, they become part of a community. What a wonderful thing. Be a bit like having sudden access whenever you wanted into Buckingham Palace or somewhere like that. Only us Brits would understand that one. <laughs> but, uh, and then they talk about a new building. So it wasn't any more about Jerusalem and the, all the restrictions that went with the temple. But it talks about a process being built into uh, a building with God, um, being built into a new building that God himself is building. One of the disturbing things about this is that 40% of the population of the world still has never heard the gospel. Yeah, 40% is true. And this is a really disturbing thing. I also read that um, an organisation called Barna, which is a big surveying organisation in the States, did a survey of American Christians. So this is only Americans, but it probably goes for lots of others as well. That in the States... Half of all churchgoers were completely unaware of the command to make disciples from all nations. This is devastating, you know, it's really serious stuff. And had it not been for people being obedient to the command to go into all nations, then Ephesians would never have been written. We would never have had this period of months to talk about it. So there is a response that needs to come from being brought near and having access. We need to take into account the fact that lots of people have not shared in that wonderful experience yet. And some of us need to think about what are we going to do? Can we give time? Can we give money? Can we persuade somebody else to go? I mean, here am I, send my sister. <laughs> um, it's a serious thing that we need to think about. How are we going to achieve? How are we going to join in with the people who are committed, already thinking about? How can we reach the unreached? So this is where we close. So the temple, as we know, has disappeared. It ran out of usefulness. Because now there is a new building. God is building a new temple a new building, and it's us. Jesus is the cornerstone, and us, all us odd-shaped blocks and stones and made of different materials, we are all being built together into God's new building because we have direct access to the Father through Jesus. So this is a process, it's something that is going on, and it's God's building, God lives in the building. So just leave that challenge with you this morning that because we have access we need to use the access. It's a bit like having a credit card or bad example. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like somebody giving you an envelope as a gift with 50 pounds in it 
and you keep it in the envelope. You know it's there, but you think, oh, that's really nice having this. And they intend you to spend it to go out and buy a fancy shirt or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, we need to make use of the access to God. And when we build in things like... Um, she was talking about last week, you know, all of these things fit together in Ephesians and that's wonderful. We're going, we're going to sing now and the last song that we're going to sing is a bit of an, well, it's a great oldie. We, yeah, we're, we're going to sing um, the great Wesley song And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Because the, 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 the thing in this, you know the great verse where he talks about bold I approach the eternal throne? It's all there, this section in this song that we're going to sing.